Hey, I'm Deacon Jonathan Stewart, and this is Talk Gnosis, the web's premier talk show where we discuss Gnosticism, Gnosis, the ancient Gnostics, the modern Gnostics, Philema, Philema, Aleister Crowley, <laughs> TikTok, <laughs> Aleister Crowley, too. <laughs> That's right, Crowley and Crowley, <laughs> and, um, and whatever else we feel like talking about. Uh, I already introduced myself at the top of the show, but joining me is Bishop Laney Peterson. Hello, Bishop. Hello, Deacon. How are you today? Uh, I'm fantastic. Really excited about our show, which I've so far named 21st Century Palema. Uh, I'm going to say it different every time, by the way. And online <laughs> occultism with our guest, Georgina Rose. Hello, Georgina. Hello. Hello. Um, welcome. Thank you. Uh, I'm Georgina Rose. I'm a digital Philema creator and I host a podcast and do YouTube and I'm all over social media making Philema content. I'm so thankful to be on here. Thank you guys for having me. And yeah. Oh, you're, you're more than welcome. So I, I've been a fan of your content ever since I discovered it. And uh, I really hope that some people out there get to discover you through this show. But uh, we also have a yeah, we, we've got a lot of uh, uh, questions that we can't wait to get to, but unfortunately we have to wait uh, because <laughs> I have to do our commercial and I have to do it at the top of the show so I don't forget and so the people don't uh, turn it off. Melkuth so, comes first. <laughs> that, that's yes. right, exactly. <laughs> so, Dr. Uh, Melkuth coming first. Uh, we actually cannot present the show without viewers and listeners like you. Uh, we, we do have to hire a digital studio to, to do the show online. We have a few other costs. Therefore, if you do like what we're doing, you can support us on patreon.com slash Gnostic for as little as a dollar per piece of content per month. You can also put a cap on that in case we ever ratchet up uh, content. Someday we want to start blogging and doing more shows again and uh, if you want to do a one-time donation you can also do paypal.me slash gnostic and of course we know that these are difficult times we know that there's uh, lots of people out there who are going to have difficulty supporting us financially even if you want to in that case you can help us out a lot by telling people about the show you know mouth to mouth is still one of the best ways you can also email it to people you can post it on your social media you can uh, uh like and subscribe you can leave good reviews for us uh and uh yeah, that, that, that's it. So the, the commercial is done. Let's uh, ascend up the tree. We'll get there by the end of this show. So starting off, Georgina, give us your power elevator speech. Explain Philema as quick as you can, even though we are going to link to our past shows on this topic. We're going to link to your material. So even if people don't have the background, uh, they'll be able to do some research. But if they don't know what Philema is, and you need to tell them quick, what would you tell them? So Philema is a kind of religion, philosophy, and mystical system sort of thrown into one. Uh, people interpret it a little differently, but it's basically a system that is a combination of things like Kabbalah, some comedic influences, some Gnosticism, and um, it all comes together into one paradigm combined with this sort of philosophical notion of following your will and your passions and this kind of individualist, individualistic uh, philosophy thrown into it. It's 
something that was started by Aleister Crowley, though it takes heavy influence from what's ahead of it and is sort of a continuation of the Western esoteric tradition uh, and has evolved from there. Okay, amazing. Uh, I've never been able to sum up anything that succinctly, let alone esoteric philosophy. Me, me neither, so I'm, I'm, I'm totally impressed at this point. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Can you, so we did already do a show on Philema. That doesn't, of course, mean that, uh, that you're not going to contribute so much more interesting things. But, but that said, we can kind of jump right into it. So I want to know, what do you think are some of the most common misconceptions and ones that you've encountered? about Philema? Yeah, I mean, I think a big thing is people kind of just think of Philema as like seeing Aleister Crowley as like this Jesus Christ type figure when that's, he like started it, he's not really like a Christ figure. Some people definitely kind of go that direction, which is not what Philema is. Um, I think Philema has kind of an edgy reputation uh, because of the way the British press uh, sort of, at the time, Philema was pretty radical. It was very much against the grain and so the sort of british press was kind of freaked out by it and so because of that flame they developed this kind of edgy kind of scary dark um sort of feel to it from the outside but once you sort of learn about it it's really really far from that uh, i think another one is that thalema is just hedonism uh, which is very not true uh, a big axiom you hear is do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law and a lot of people misinterpret that as okay i can do whatever i want but in reality, when Crowley talks about will, he's talking about this notion of true will, which is sort of like the ultimate purpose of an individual and sort of that that thing that as an individual you're sort of meant to do with your life. And so when he says that, he means following that, not just blind hedonism, though Thalema does reject a lot of conventional moral boundaries. Um, yeah, I think those are sort of the big ones that come up the most and pop into my mind first. Fantastic. Well, you know, my next question really uh, is a natural uh, follow-up to to what you just said, which is, is Philema just about Crowley? Like, how much do we have to love Uncle Al to be inspired by Philema or to engage with Philema or to be a, a Philemite? Yeah, um, I think that with Crowley, he sort of started it and he compiled the systems ahead of him into Philema and then threw in his own kind of philosophical slant. Uh, he definitely began this current out of what was ahead of him, but he was just the beginning. There are other Thalamic thinkers, like you get people like Jack Parsons, Frater Ashad, like there are a lot of other Thalamites that came after him that have ideas as well. And I think Thalama sort of just gets lumped as Crowley's thing, when in reality it's the beginning of a living current. Uh, he spoke a lot about like Thalama evolving and this progression of the Aeons thing. He didn't want it to just start and end with sort of a cult of personality around him. Uh, he's an inspiration and he is someone that we look to as like sort of someone to look up to, but he's not like a messiah. He's not He's not some sort of like God figure. Uh, he's just a guy who started it. Um, and so I think like, like Crowley is important and to understand Thalema, you need to understand Crowley and learning about him really does help get it. But I think, like, like the idea that it's just his thing sort of misses all the stuff that came after him, like Kenneth Grant and A.O. Spare and all these other thinkers that sort of created the Thalemic current. Um, but yeah, he is, he is very important. 
Yes. But at the same time, he's not an incarnated God. Uh, he's no. not uh, like the Pope, uh, uh, infallible. Would you say people could engage with his work and be like, wow, I, I really hate that. Do I, do I have to take that from his work? Absolutely. <laughs> I, okay. I mean, like, I think if I personally knew Crowley, I don't really think we'd get along. Um, <laughs> I think like a lot of Thelemites, some definitely kind of revere him, but a lot of people look at Crowley rather critically. Uh, and sort of like engage with things like in his personal life that they disagree with. And they're like, he be, he he was a person that we look up to, but he's not like a blind, infallible person. Um, he had flaws. Uh, there's, there's not that kind of like blind reverence. Um, so yeah, I mean, you don't have to agree with everything he said to be a Thelemite. You don't have to blindly take everything he said as gospel. Um, so we we do talk about a, a lot of different traditions here on the show. We we cover a lot of topics, but at the end of the day, it is called talk gnosis, and we do most the majority of our content is uh, about gnosticism, ancient and modern. What does gnosticism mean to you, and what role does gnosis play in your practice and in your life? Um, I see gnosticism as that kind of the the current that began with like the the early early gnostics and sort of continued on through this mystical tradition um i see gnosis as sort of discovering enlightenment the revelations that come from doing and personal experience um i find that gnosis is something that is is important in my practice it's something that we sort of reach with continued devotion and diligence and by just continuing the great work. And I see Gnosis as sort of a big part of sort of that, that great work, that mystical goal that we achieve and reach for and strive for through our lives in the occult. Very, very cool. Uh, Bishop, before I, I barrel on, I'm gonna take a breather and uh, just, see, <laughs> just see if you have any questions, comments, uh, if you're channeling anything from the great beyond that you may want to present. <laughs> I've got a two-part question. Okay, first of all, I'm always really curious when I speak to a fellow content creator, which I guess is what we're called these days, um, <laughs> what inspired you to move into your very active social media podcasting presence? I, I've seen that you, you're very active, and what inspired you to do this? Yeah, I mean... Part of the reason why I did it is because I, I really like online communities. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a solitary practitioner and I've learned a lot through speaking to people online. I decided to like show my face and start making content because I saw that there wasn't a lot of Thelemic content creators out there. Mm. Um, like there's there's IEO131 who started Thelemic Union and sort of the people associated with that. Mm -hmm. But there really isn't like a Thelemic like there's some Thelemic podcasts, there's Living Thelema, there's Speech in the Silence, but they're all, they're normally not super active. They don't post a lot. There's not a lot of young people, especially young women talking about mm -hmm. Thelema online. I just saw like, like my tradition just wasn't really represented. Um, like when you go on like Instagram or YouTube, there's not a lot of Thelema there. And so I was like, you know what? I, I know how to make content. I know how to edit mm -hmm. a podcast. I'll just put myself out there and it kind of stuck and went from there. I really had no idea it would get as much traction as it did. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I just kind of wanted to see myself represented. So I was like, I guess I have to do it. Why do you think, and I'm interested in this, I'm very interested in your response because I got involved with the online occult magic community back in the nineties. Yeah, around 94, 90, yeah, yeah, it was around 94, 95. 
And at that time, there were a lot of thelemites online. Uh, Bill Heydrich uh, from the OTO, you know, was was online, and there was a lot of yeah. that going on uh, back in the days of alt.magic on Usenet, which was, was this is before people had access to the what we called back then the World Wide Web. And so we did a lot of this text-based content. And and there's a lot of people in the Tholemic community online. Um, why do you think that now that, you know, we're looking now, uh, you know, 20 years later, uh, why do you think that there are so few Tholemic uh, content creators out there? Yeah, I mean, I've noticed there are a lot of people active on like Tholemic, like Reddits and Discords mm -hmm. and stuff. But in terms of like actual like, face showing bloggers and content creators. Mm -hmm. I think that it's just slowed down a bit. Um, mm -hmm. I think Thalama may not be as popular as it once was. I'm really not sure to be mm -hmm. honest. I, I'm very, very confused with you see mostly, most Thalamic content creators are like bloggers, mm -hmm. like like written text bloggers. There isn't a lot of like, there are podcasts, they exist. I'm not yeah. the only person doing this. But it, it, I, I've, I've wondered this myself. I, yeah. I find it very strange. I think Thalema needs to kind of embrace social media a bit more than it does. Um, I don't know. It's something I've it wondered is interesting. myself. That's why I asked because I just it, it was a very interesting comment that you made. You know, I think people also don't realize how much work goes into blogs, but also podcasts and these YouTube shows. Um, <sighs> People don't oh, yeah. realize, just, you, know, we, you know, we show up and we do this, but they don't understand how much goes on behind the scenes. So I think that there's that factor as well. Um, the other question that I have, and it's something I know that Deacon Jonathan was also interested in, is uh, when you put yourself out there as a content creator, particularly when you put your, when you attach your face or your voice to your content the way we're doing here, um, you become a lightning rod. And just out of curiosity, do you ever get people uh, giving you some guff for your association with Thalema and particularly Crowley, who was, of course, uh, known for holding some opinions that many people today, and even back in the day, uh, found offensive uh, with regards to things like gender and, and race and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I definitely get quite a bit of sort of negative interactions i get a lot of them especially on instagram for some reason i don't know why i get like concerned christians messaging me which i honestly don't mind because i know that it comes from a good place like mm -hmm. they do want to help me uh i in terms of crowley's like race and gender comments uh i think that a lot of them can be pretty outdated uh i've voiced my disagreement mm -hmm. with a lot of them i think that his his lens was really tinted by the fact that he was an upper class white British man in the early 1900s and that really skewed his worldview. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have to remember that when we look at his stuff. And you see similar like problematic elements and people like Dion Fortune and Mathers. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I work against that. I think he was a product of his time in a lot of ways and stuff like that I think we should engage with critically. I think yeah. in a lot of ways he was progressive for his time with his bisexuality and all that. But some of his stuff just, I think we need to do question that and be critical and be like, yeah, that was a product of his time. Philema does not need to look like that now. Um, I've made podcast episodes on like feminism but in relation to Philema and like how to be a more sort of open-minded and accepted community and move beyond this sort of outdated mindset. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that that's something that we need to just kind of be like, hey, it's not the 1800s anymore. Let's engage with this a little bit differently. 
Uh, so yeah. I've gotten backlash with that, but I always just explain, like, I engage with it critically. Crowley is not the be-all, end-all. Uh, people like Parsons, who came after him, had much more progressive views on that stuff. Sure. You know, I was looking at some of your stuff on Twitter and, and how, you know, you got a comment on uh, on one of your po on your podcasts about, you know, I don't like these, you know, opinionated, <laughs> salty, these salty opinions, because how dare somebody have an opinion that they share on social media? I... <laughs> <laughs> but you you know how this is. I mean, you know. It's, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I'm I pretty opinionated. I've been pretty much like that from the beginning. I began OWAS as very much commentary focused, uh, which is my podcast, Occultism with a Side of Salt. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's to kind of comment on the community. And then I started making my YouTube and stuff like that. And that's much more like instructional, like what is Thelema, how to be a Thelemite, like that type of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think every thelemite is pretty opinionated i don't think i'm the first thelemite to be strongly opinionated <laughs> if you've met any of us uh yes i have of, met a few <laughs> yeah yeah i think thelemites as people tend to take that will thing pretty strong when it comes to their opinions um yeah if you, if you want to get in touch with me after the show there's a great wine on the market from uh, i think it's from california called big salt and it, Wait, it, that's it's, amazing. Yeah, it's called Big Salt. It's about 19 bucks a bottle. Fantastic wine. Really good match with Asian food. If you want, yeah, I'll, if you, let me know. I'll hook you up after the show. But just when you start talking about the salty stuff, it's <laughs> having some fun. So, yeah. all right, back to you, Deacon. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Georgina, <laughs> magic spelled with a K. Is it, yes. is it only good for theurgy and like, you know, doing these rituals to to get closer to spiritual forces, to become more enlightened, or does it actually do stuff in the physical world? And if it does do something in the physical world, like how do we know it isn't just a coincidence and that we're lying to ourselves that it's the result of doing this particular ritual or what have you? Totally. I mean, I think that it is very good for that theurgy style stuff. I definitely incorporate that into my practice. I have a pretty strong bent in that direction in my personal practice. I do think that it does work on a physical level. Um, and in terms of the, is it just us convincing ourselves? I'm gonna go a little union here. Even if it is doing that, it's still working. Like even if it is just our minds sort of tricking ourselves or functioning as like a really high level placebo, like it still works. If it, like if, it, if it's still effective and is making things happen in your real life, like, I mean, why not go kind of coyote and just run with it? Like, if it's making a change in your life, even if it's just on a psychological level, which some thalamites do take that kind of mentality, it still is doing something and you're still working within your mind and your psychology to make an effect. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, agree with you there. And, and sometimes I have this argument of people and they say, well, you, what, if, if it isn't actually manifesting in the physical world and that's your goal, then you're you're wasting your time. And and I say in the 21st century, and of course, there are people who have to work for jobs. And uh, as a freelancer, I've definitely not had a, uh, a breath of fresh air sometimes. But at the same time, you know, we live in the age of people pissing away uh, time, yeah. right? So I say, go, go through the funky ritual instead of uh, binging on, on on YouTube or Netflix. Yeah, and I mean, we see people uh, like, like I think Wim Hof actually really, like his stuff about your mind affecting your body and your life really echoes this kind of psychological mode mentality. Like we see through, they did some studies on this guy, like he physically made his body stronger through just 
really intense thinking and meditation. He doesn't call himself an occultist. I think what he does is pretty occult personally, but like you can see like the mind has power to it. And even if it's just working on like a mind over matter level, it still works. So why not? <laughs> yeah, another comparison uh, similar to Wim Hof would be the uh, Tibetan Buddhists with their uh, Dumo practice, the, the inner fire. They can actually raise their body heat. Uh, and this has been tested time after time. There's actually yeah. numerous studies where they've been able yeah. to do it. Yeah, so. Um, okay. I have a friend who's actually a guest on this show at one point. Um, uh, I will not name names, but he actually started to do that himself. When he moved to a cooler climate, he made a point of only wearing uh, winter clothing when the temperature got really low. And he trained his body to warm itself up. Um, and he found it to be a very significant uh, spiritual practice. Oh, extremely cool! Well, yeah. uh, uh, the Bishop, you'll you'll have to get him to reveal his secrets to me because I live in a very cold place. But I, I guess you do too. So, <laughs> <laughs> why? Well, well, yeah. Well, Montreal isn't that isn't that warm, is it? I mean, no. I, I I I thought you know Chicago is very cold. Yeah. Um, I thought that, you know, just if further you go up north, it's going to get cold. And Montreal isn't just bad as some areas in Canada, but. It certainly isn't, but it's, it's very cold. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's definitely one of the colder of the, the Canadian yeah. province. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> on topic, off topic. We're having fun. Talking about having fun, Georgina, you seem to have a lot of fun with your content. Is having a sense of humor and fun important to occultism, or, or does it cheapen it and turn it into a joke or a game? I mean, I don't think it does. I think humor is a pretty effective way to teach things. I think with ha mm -hmm. when you have fun with things, it engages people. Um, Crowley himself definitely had fun with his stuff. I mean, he put humor in his work. Uh, he yeah. toyed with the media. He did... He was kind of an original shit poster in a lot of ways. And so I think as a Thelemite, I'm sort of continuing on that. When I sort of add humor, it engages people more. I don't really think it cheapens it per se. I think I can see why you would take that angle. But I don't think it makes you any less of a mystic to not be super severe all the time. Um, I just, I think that's kind of a weird mental route to go down. I mean, storytelling has been used to convey mystical truths for a long time. Why can you not throw humor in there? Yeah. I think it's v very Crowley of me to have like a, a funness and a lightness to my, my stuff. Yeah, I think I would even go even further than that. And I would say I would never trust any spiritual practitioner or or even a, or especially not even a teacher who did not have a sense of humor because if you can't see the humor in things if you can't see your own foolishness you can't see the foolishness around you and laugh at it take you know laugh at it and, and have that lightness as you put um you're taking yourself far far too seriously and are probably not going to spot your own flaws absolutely you know, if you can't do that. So yeah, I mean, as I said, one of the things that I watch out for is people who do not have a sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. And, uh, 
sometimes myself and, and, and sometimes uh, um, uh, people within my community uh, have been criticized for, for having a sense of lightness or having a sense of humor for choking around. And I, I, I think, Lainey, you said it perfectly, right? Like, uh, it, if, if you do not have at least an appreciation for levity in the occult, I don't trust you. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't I cannot trust you because as far as I'm concerned, um, either you are a narcissist and narcissists do not laugh at themselves, um, or you are afraid of absurdity. Yeah. And occultists, it seems to me that, that, that occultists must be acutely aware of absurdity because we're not going to get anywhere if we don't acknowledge that. Agreed. Yeah, precisely. And I think especially when you're engaging with Gnosticism, which I think does have sort of an existentialist, absurd uh, dimension to it. It's uh, fanfic. A lot of our literature is fanfic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, exactly. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, although that said, uh, you know, I think it is important, you know, when when to know uh, when to joke around yeah. and when to be more serious, right? And that can be a, a skill that people need to develop. And that's not just Gnosticism, occultism, and religion. I think that's life as well, right? So, yeah. but particularly with, when it when it comes to uh, to the occult and occult religions, it's uh, it's good to to know when to when to get around and when to take things more more seriously. So, absolutely, it's yeah. a balance. Yeah, precisely. I, I remember, you know, when I first moved to Montreal, sort of kind of trying to get involved with the occult and meeting up with some some fellow uh, mites. And, you, you know, I said, you know, I've I every day from ages 12 to 17, I, I got the ninth degree and they did not think that was funny. And <laughs> it may or may not be a funny joke, but the reaction was. I think it's funny. I think that's good. <laughs> Thank you. Was, they were not impressed. And I'm like, these are probably not the people for me. Mm. That's good. That's that's good. Mm. Mm. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Georgina, uh, what's your advice for someone who's looking to start as an occultist? Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest ones would be uh, read a lot, like research. Uh, don't just lock yourself to one tradition to read about because you never know what will like actually work for you and stick with you. Be open-minded. Uh, develop a meditation practice. Even just starting with like five minutes a day before you go to sleep, mm -hmm. like meditation and sort of mastering just the material, that type of stuff is like really important to jump off into the more advanced practices. Uh, those are like the biggest two tips. I would start a journal or like a, a record where you record like your spiritual development and kind of track that um, and just be open-minded and experiment because when you're new, like, you don't necessarily know what tradition you're going to end up really connecting mm -hmm. with. You don't necessarily know what's going to really work for you. So I just think have an open mind at the start and just see what happens and develop that discipline. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we, we, we both probably uh, agree with all those major points. And, and I, I just want to uh, double emphasize the starting a meditation practice or, or if not, mindfulness meditation some sort yeah. of contemplative practice uh to and that I, I always say that 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 should be one of the first steps that you take right and it doesn't have to be a lot of people think that if they want to be serious about meditation be a serious occultist uh, be a serious mystic well i i've got to do it four hours a day uh you'll burn I, yourself out you'll mm -hmm. burn yourself out and that's yeah. not good it's unrealistic exactly yeah you we want your oh go ahead yeah 
if you're going to start a daily practice, it needs to be something you can do even when you feel like terrible. Yeah. It needs to be something that you can consistently do no matter what is going on. And a four hour meditation practice, let's say you have a bad day at work and you're really annoyed and then you pour food on yourself. Like you're not going to want to meditate for four hours. That's not going to happen. Yeah. You're training your mind and your body. We don't expect a six month old to get up and start walking. And most of us are not trained in families that, that we are not in family, not raised in families where we're trained in spiritual practices. Some people are, but many people are not. And so, yes, it may be that training yourself to sit still and to calm your mind for a minute, maybe far more than you're used to, because yeah. we live in the U.S., for example, we have the, what I call the cult of work. We're expected yeah. to always be busy or thinking or doing something or being productive. And as a result, we may feel that uh, sitting for even a small, a minute uh, and not thinking um, is being slothful or idle. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's a, it's, it's, it's a way of realigning, not all, realigning our minds and our bodies with new insights and values that we didn't grow up with. So, yeah, I mean, taking, a, as you, you know, as, as Deacon and you both have pointed out, taking just a minute or a few minutes to work on this, you can do that, but you're training yourself up just as a child is going mm -hmm. to have to learn bodily control, including how to do things like walk and feed themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the science says it's something like 15 minutes of meditation a day and you get uh, discernible, noticeable effects after eight weeks. So yeah. it, it really is that that daily and just like Georgina and, and Bishop Laney are, are saying, you, you know, as long as you're doing it every day, something every day, you don't have to necessarily make that huge commitment of that huge amount of time. Yeah. So just, just like your metaphor, uh, Laney, it's, it's, it's baby steps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Although it's funny you mentioned uh, a lot of us aren't raised with, with spiritual practice. And my wife was raised Buddhist. And yes, she absolutely she was. I, I cannot get her to meditate. She hates meditating because it'd be like, <laughs> it's, it'd be like you, it, as an adult, it'd be like, hey, do you want to go to Sunday school? Do you, do you want to go to catechism? You know, she just, she, yeah. she, she loves her tradition and her parents, but she just associates it with this thing that her parents tried to make her do all the time. Um, Moving on, uh, a topic dear to, to both me and Bishop Laney's heart, something that we've actually done a number of shows on, and I suspect we'll be doing future shows on, which is conspirituality. Uh, Georgina, it, it's everywhere. Uh, it's online. It's in <laughs> the real world. I can't stand it. I think I made this very clear. Uh, one of the first, I tweeted about this a lot. One of the first episodes of my podcast, um, and one of the episodes that inspired me to make Occultism with a Side of Salt, uh, was conspirituality. It really bugs me. Um, I mm -hmm. do not like conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. I They really bug. Like, like, sure, some things are true. Like, don't blindly trust the government or whatever. But well, yeah. a lot of these conspiracy theories just end up being, like, really anti-scientific and anti-Semitic um, and just very not cool. And I really don't like that spiritual practices get lumped in with them. It's like, I think the mentality of conspirituality is when you accept one sort of counterculture thing, like the occult or whatever, you're supposed to just immediately reject all normative thinking, right? And I think that's, I think that's how people get into it. And I think that's a really unhealthy way to look at it. Um, I think 
conspiratorial thinking can very easily make you no longer grounded. Because uh, when you do these like occult spiritual practices, it's really important to stay grounded and make sure you're not like going off the deep end because sometimes that does happen to people. And so I just think it's like these people, they get like, they lose their grounding and it just kind of spirals. And it really, really irritates me the way that spirituality and conspiracies have merged. And it just, it results in some, some pretty dangerous thinking and stuff like anti-vaxxers or people thinking that their kids don't have autism and are crystal children, which can do serious long-term damage on a kid if they don't get like medications for their problems. And it's just a lot of like, like people, like I had someone tell me, I made a joke about, this is really stupid. I made a joke about taking a shot of abramelin oil. Really, just, just as a joke. It was a joke. And they're like, well, you know, you can drink essential oils. And I was like, please don't do that. Please don't do that. No, it was a joke. They're like, don't joke about that because that's a real thing you can do for your health. And I was like, please, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> Okay, folks, you heard it here to uh, cure COVID, drink abramelin <laughs> oil. <laughs> no, 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 and you're, it's not like interfering with your life or resulting in people dying of COVID. I mean, go for it. Like, do what you want. I don't really care. But conspiracy theories have resulted in people not taking it like literal COVID seriously. And that worries me a lot. Yeah. And I yeah. don't want to be tied in with that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Georgina, how do, you, how do you see both like yourself and listeners and watchers and just a wider occult community? Like, do you have any ideas how we can combat this? Because it, it really is growing in our communities, in alternative spirituality. And, you know, the presenting facts doesn't work, right? Like they know yeah. the facts a lot of the time. So do you have any ideas, any theories? Uh, like, I don't expect you to have the answer. <laughs> I can solve it right now. Um, but really what it is, is just like engage with them, be public. Like I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Don't like try to associate, don't like follow a ton of conspiracy theorists. Don't go on like conspiracy theorist shows. I just think like separating our subjects is kind of what we can do. Like I, I accidentally did go on something with a conspiracy theorist and I like disavowed the whole thing but like i just i i don't go on conspiracy theory related podcasts um i'll go on podcasts with non-occultists i talk to non-thelemites all the time but like if something i know has a ton of conspiracy theory stuff on it i won't go on it um i avoid like being associated with conspiracy theories i disavow them like when the anti-mask stuff popped up i was like hey uh you can be spiritual and still follow scientific guidelines and just sort of like disavow it and just open discussion. Um, if someone's in too deep with conspiracy theories, you really can't like argue with them as an individual, but you can kind of try to distance the community. I think that's what we can do. I mean, we can't do a ton, but using our voices is what we have. So we may as well give it a shot. Yeah, I will stress the, uh, the j just a point that you made earlier that I think is so important uh, that I've brought up before, I'll bring up in the future, is staying grounded. Staying grounded of all this stuff, even yeah. if you're not an occultist and lean more towards the mystical side of things. Yeah. 
staying grounded is so important. And I, I was fortunate. One of my first spiritual teachers ever, his his marriage fell apart because of his occult activities. And so he really drilled it into my head, right? Like to have stay grounded, keep yeah. one foot in the real world, have friends who aren't occultists, do things that aren't connected to the occult, have a partner yeah. who's not occultist and may, uh, who's not an occultist and make sure that you answer to their needs. So it's, I, I was fortunate at the beginning of my journey that that was really kind of uh, really impressed upon me. And, and I think that it, it is uh, an important point that I always want to pass on <laughs> and, and, and hone. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. And of course, not just for, for keeping away from conspiracy theories, but in general, have have absolutely you need you need other interests and hobbies. Um, I some people I, I posted about that a while ago, and some people disagree with me. But personally, I think having other interests is important. Uh, I do things that are not occult related. Um, I have other hobbies, and I think that that type of stuff just keeps my life balanced. Like I work a mundane job. I live a very I live a normal life as well as my occult life, and I think that that just makes my practice better because it allows me to like stay grounded in reality and not go off the edge. Um, I think it's important. Yeah, exactly. That, so occultism seems to be having a, a new, a, a, a new moment in the sun. It seems to be very popular. The New York Times has done multiple articles now on the popularity of both occultism and uh, witchcraft of occultism. And uh, of course, you're on TikTok. There's famously witch talk, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do, do you think that this new occult revival is a trend? And where do you think it might go? Like, where do you see it going? Yeah. Um. So I think it is trendy right now. Um. A lot of people kind of freak out about witch talk, especially. I think that's hysteria. Um. It's the same thing where people were really mad about like people reading Scott Cunningham in the '90s. Oh. From what I, because I was re I was listening to Thorne Mooney's <sighs> reflections on being a '90s Wiccan and whatever, and I'm like, and the way that she would talk about how people would talk about like girls reading Silver Ravenwolf or whatever. It's the same way we talk about TikTokers. Like, it's 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 fine. The worst that's going to happen out of TikTok is some people post some stuff that's kind of cringy, but through that, some people will genuinely discover a spiritual path they connect with. It will increase acceptance of the occult. It'll lead to some people, like, they'll start as some TikTok witch doing, like, spell jars or whatever, and they may find a very serious spiritual path through that, and it can be a gateway for them. I think, like, like to be honest, in all the issues our community has, people posting on TikTok and doing things that would be considered fluffy or just doing things that like very serious occultist TM are kind of like looked down on. I mean, it's, it's not that deep, honestly. It's, it's really not like, sure, they sometimes can be annoying and silly things can be said, but the TikTok witch talkers are really not ruining the occult. Uh, How could they? <laughs> Yeah, well, some yeah. will leave it and some will just have it as a phase, but people, yeah. there, there's always been people like that. Some will find it as a gateway. Um, I, I, I think that the like kind of hysteria around is way overblown. I, I don't really think it's that, that deep, to be honest. And uh, do you have any ideas about like where this this overall trend will go? This interested occultism? Do you think it'll just fizzle out, and there'll just be a handful of true believers? Or like I I know that you can't necessarily see the future, although we're occultists, maybe you can. <laughs> but, uh, but but you have any guesses, ideas about where's this all going? What's it going to look like in a couple of years? 
I think it'll come and go in waves. Uh, I think that there's a really big interest right now. I think it'll die down a bit. I think it'll come back in like 20 years. I think it's progressively increasing in people, but I think it'll just kind of be up and down, like how there was interest in spirituality in the 70s, then again in the 90s, then again now. I think it's just kind of an ebb and flow. I think it'll lose a bit of popularity, come back. Yeah. But yeah, that's my that's my theory. Okay, very, very cool. Now, this occult revival, why do you think it's happening right now? Um, I think right now, I mean, I think it's because the world is really uncertain in a lot of ways. And I think people seek out spiritual paths when their life isn't necessarily on the right track or when they're sort of, they're things they want beyond what they have. There's this kind of uncertainty, like, no, like in the U.S. right now, like there's kind of a lot of stuff happening and there have been for the past couple of years. I think kind of that societal not knowing what's happening and this kind of confusion leads people to seek out answers through spirituality. That's mm -hmm. my my theory. Yeah, mine as well. Um, Bishop, we've almost crossed the abyss. We're almost there. And before we finally get there, uh, before we have to uh, start wrapping up, do you have questions, comments, anything running through your head from, from everything we've been discussing? Um, I, I'm a little curious. I know that many people in the esoteric and occult communities were have been, as you point out, there's been some strange things going on the past several years. And we've had a certain uh, change in the U.S. with electoral politics. Um, just, I mean, I'm asking you, I guess, to yeah. uh, prophecy a little bit here. But do you think that there's going to be a switch in the way the occult community is operating, uh, becoming perhaps less political and more theological or do you think that there is going to is the the current trends are going to continue what do you think might happen now that we're seeing a change in who will be occupying the white house here at least here in the u.s yeah i mean i think uh for a while it'll probably remain the same because the community moves kind of slowly like they're like mm -hmm. micro trends that you notice if i'm mm -hmm. on social media like 24 7 uh, so i'm kind of like i know the, the like micro trends pretty well but I think generally that maybe we'll move towards a place where it's a little more theological. Maybe it'll die out a bit. I don't really know. Um, I think that would make sense though. I'm not completely sure where it's gonna go. I would like if it would calm down. Like I want more, obviously the more people interested the better, but I would like if it would be a little more calm in the occult social media spaces. That would, that would be nice. That would make my life easier. <laughs> I think it'd make everybody's life easier. Yeah, amen to that. I don't think you're the only one with that wish, I suspect. <laughs> uh, Georgina, one last request for divination. Uh, yes. Where do you see Philema going in the future? And where would you like to see Philema go? If, if you became the queen of Philema and you could yes. push it in a certain direction, where would you like to push it? Yeah, if I could push it in a certain direction, I would push it to kind of abandon the, I think Thalema right now is kind of stagnant. Um, I think that Thalema is sort of stuck in the past right now. I think the, the social media rise has led to a radical change. The Thalema community has had inner community drama for the past few years for a variety of reasons. I really don't want to explain all of that. You can find it online. There's been just a lot of kind of inner Thalema tension and a lot of sort of turmoil in the community over the past um two or three years ever since like 2017 some stuff happened that caused a lot of community tension i would like thalema to kind of 
leave the past behind, uh, be open to new perspectives, uh, be open to sort of some, some less heteronormativity in the community and sort of just stop fixating on the past and the way Philema was when Crowley was alive and sort of just be more experimental, be more open-minded and just let the Philema community evolve. That's what I would like. Um, I just think Philema, the Philema community is just kind of stuck on some of this stuff and just, just move forward, experiment with like group, new group structures and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, I think I think that's a perfect place right there to to begin the wrap up. Uh, Georgina, thanks so much for joining us. Can you tell the people uh, where to find you online? Yeah, uh, so you can find me under dot darling d a a a t. Dar oh, it's right there. Cool. Um, there are a few ways to spell that false Sephora name, so I always spell it out. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Patreon, um, and I'm under Occultism with a Side of Salt, that's the name of my podcast on Spotify, YouTube, and Patreon. Uh, I'm all over the internet, and I'm super active. I make content weekly, so I'm, I'm everywhere. Excellent. Uh, Bishop, do you, do you have any plugs? Um, not at this point, although I will let Georgina know that I put a link to that wine in the private chat for you. You might want to check it out. It's it's a lot of fun, but it's a big salt wine, and and uh, if we're going to be salty about things, we might as well <laughs> have a wine to go with it, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, big salt wine, if you're out there, we are accepting sponsorships. We are salty. Feel free to send us that check, and we'll, we'll hype your wine. Uh, my plug is for uh, mileendmeditation.substack.com. Uh, I have some training and experience teaching secular open meditation. As we were discussing earlier, uh, mindfulness meditation, no matter what your tradition, it can be fantastic for your life. And if you are a mystic, an occultist, or a Gnostic, it's even better. But this is uh, not a mystic or Gnostic uh, meditation group. The, the basic mindfulness, we have a mix of people. We got some religious people. We got some atheists. We got some agnostics. I used to do it live in person. Now we've moved it online. It's free. I should say by donation, but you know, just come. Uh, it's great for both beginners and it's great for people with experience. It's uh, every Sunday, 11 a.m. Uh, you can go to mylandmeditation.substack.com, get all the details. That's 11 a.m. Montreal time. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. And that that's my plug. So, Georgina, again, so I just thank like you for time a thank you. Thanks so much for coming out. Thank this you. was awesome, awesome show. Yeah, so, thank you for having me on. Uh, they really are a pleasure. Okay, so this is Deacon Jonathan Sword saying goodbye. Farewell, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye.